All right, I think it's time to start with a joke just to kind of like transition, right? Okay. All right, so I'm just going to read it to you, this joke, okay? So, in light of the rising frequency of human grizzly bear conflicts, the Montana Department of Fish and Game is advising hikers, hunters, and fishermen to take extra precautions and keep alert for bears while in the field. In quote, we advise that outdoorsmen wear noisy little bells on their clothing so as not to startle bears that might not be expecting them. We also advise outdoorsmen to carry pepper spray with them in case an encounter with a bear uh, happens. It's also a good idea to watch out for fresh signs of bear activity and to uh, know the difference, recognize the difference between black bear and grizzly bear scat. Scat is, you know, feces. So, so it says this, says, outdoorsmen should recognize the difference between black bear and grizzly bear uh, scat. Black bear scat is smaller and contains lots of berries and squirrel fur. Grizzly's bear scat smells like pepper and has little bells in it. <laughs> all right, all right. I, uh, thank you. I, I've, ha I've had a few bombs here joke-wise, so this makes up for it. Well, we're going to read a passage of Scripture right now. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 to 37. And so it'll be up on the screen. And periodically, we have you stand. And we don't always do that, but for some reason, I feel like we should just all stand right now as we read this, just in honor to God who's given us His Word and loves us so much that he made it possible for us to know him and, and to hear from him and to have life through his words. So uh, you, you follow along and listen as I read this. It says, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven if they repent. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Not you, but you brood of vipers. <laughs> How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Everyone say that phrase with me. For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned." Thanks. Have a seat. In James, James 3.8, a, a really profound statement made by James, <clears throat> he said this. He said, no one can control the tongue. No one can control the tongue. He says it's a restless evil. No one can control the tongue. Now, I kind of wish I had uh, titled this message, The Tyranny of the Tongue. 
I title it Kingdom Liberty, thinking liberty from the tyranny of the tongue. But Kingdom Liberty, the tyranny of the tongue. We're gonna, I'm going to show you how to be set free from the tyranny of the tongue, of our mouths, of the words that we speak. He starts off, and I, w- I want to uh, step back into a couple verses that Luke uh, addressed last week because the whole thing is a flow. And he says, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander, this is verses 31 and 32, be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke, Luke did a good job of addressing that last week. Uh, this is not just making an errant statement. It's not like saying something you didn't really mean or even think about, but then think, oh, man, I just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I didn't mean to say that, but I guess now I'm doomed for eternity. It's, it's not that. It's not something you say by accident. As you look at that passage and the passage we're going to look at today, it becomes really clear and obvious that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a settled and determined conclusion a person has come to about the work of the Holy Spirit. And then stating that conclusion, but it is not state, it's not something that's just a frivolous thing that a person says. It's a hard and fast conclusion of the heart. And then that heart that makes that conclusion sees the Holy Spirit working, but instead of seeing goodness and God at work, they see, their mind is so twisted and their heart is so, so flawed, they see evil. And they say, that person being healed, that's evil. And all because it was on the Sabbath. And, and, and such like that. And these Pharisees, they were so committed to their own positions of power that they couldn't conceive of anything other than Jesus coming and breaking their rules as being evil. And so even the works of the Holy Spirit that came through him, they looked at them and they literally saw, they saw black when they should have seen white. They saw down when they should have seen up because of the distortion in their hearts. And that's why Luke, Luke made this statement last week that when a person comes to this point, they don't even know it and they don't care. Their heart is so hard, they don't care. And that's why this, this is true. Hear this. When, if you are concerned, if you are worried that you have committed the unforgivable sin, then you haven't, okay? Because part of it is your heart is so, so twisted, so distorted that you can't see reality and therefore you would have no concern or care for uh, whether you have made this, committed this sin or not. Now, a big part of the fact that it won't be forgiven is this. It takes the Holy Spirit to see sin. I have to have the very Holy, the Holy Spirit has to reveal to me my sin. And so they would have had to repent of all the underlying factors that led them to that wrong conclusion about the Holy Spirit in order to confess it even. And, but they have already made a categorical statement rejecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's not working in their hearts anymore. And so it's, they've come to a point where it's, it's just, it's, they're not going to be forgiven. It's not that they couldn't be forgiven. The Apostle Paul said, I, you know, I was the worst of all sinners. I was a blasphemer. And when he says this, I think he's talking about committing this, this very sin Jesus is talking about. 
that he should not have he should not have received the mercy of the Holy Spirit revealing to him his sin. But he says, you know, I was shown mercy. And so the likelihood is when a person comes to that point in the darkness of their own heart that uh, they'll never see it and they'll never be forgiven. So Jesus goes on now to teach about the tongue and this whole idea of the tyranny of the tongue. Uh, He starts off in verse 33. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. A tree is recognized by its fruit. Obviously, he's not trying to teach us about uh, agriculture or horticulture here or anything like that. He's talking about the human heart, but he uses the tree as an example. And so let's, let's, let's run with that for just a moment. First of all, this is like a proverbial saying. He's not like saying you make the tree good or make it evil, but it's, he's just saying, uh, so, so, well, like, like we make this statement, give a, give a person an inch and they'll take a mile. When you make that statement, you're not telling someone to give someone an inch. You're just making a proverbial statement, and that's what he's doing here. But he says this, that the fruit tells you about the tree. First of all, it tells you the nature of the tree. We have a crab apple tree in our front yard, and uh, there are little hard apples that grow on it. And I, I really, we've never eaten any of them. But that, that they produce that type of fruit because of the type of tree it is. It's a crab apple tree. Now, another tree, let's say a tree that grows Macintosh apples, the DNA, the core nature of that tree is to grow apples that you're going to sit down and enjoy munching on and eating. And I know some of you are going to try, I guess if you do have a recipe for crab apples, let me know, we'll try it. But it's just an illustration, so don't try to correct me on that. (laughs) Now, here's something important to remember. With the Macintosh apple tree, it is designed to create good apples, but it could be diseased. Even though its nature is good apples, it could have a disease. And if it's diseased, then it's still going to produce apples that uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to eat or wouldn't be good. There are blights, there are mildews. mildews. Did you know that apple trees could get the measles? I mean, go figure. There's some type of measles that apple trees can catch. But... um, the, the, the point is this, one tree has bad DNA, I'm calling it bad, therefore it creates little tiny sour apples. Another tree has good DNA and it's designed to produce really good apples unless it is diseased. And if it's diseased, then, then it won't even produce the good apples it's designed to produce. So just as a tree's core nature and health are seen by the fruit it produces. So the core nature and health of the individual is seen by the words that they speak. And so he goes on in verse 34 and he says this, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? You know, Jesus, he played good cop and bad cop. I mean, he was, can you imagine being there talking to him and, and publicly He just speaks to this whole group of Pharisees and calls them a brood of vipers. Well, you know the word brood means a whole bunch that are born all at the same time, the same batch of chicks. You can have a brood of chicks, and they're cute as can be. But here you have a brood of snakes, and there are different types of snakes. You know, there are snakes that 
uh, might bite you like a black snake here in the United States or a, a um, gardener snake. It might bite you. You might get an infection, but it's not going to kill you, very likely. But there are snakes that are designed to kill. When we were in uh, Africa, my first time there, uh, we were sitting in the courtyard of this, this big compound, and uh, we're sitting in the kind of like the cafeteria, the eating area, which had some trees and stuff, but there's this big, big, um, uh, like, uh, driveway patio type area, and this little green snake about two, two and a half feet long came slithering across, and someone said, that's a green mamba, and it was making its way to the bricks. There's a pile of bricks, and I just thought, well, wait a second, there are kids here in this compound. Why isn't someone doing something? So I stood up and I grabbed a broom and I just swept it out back out into the center of the um, driveway so it couldn't get to those bricks. And then my friend Chuck, Chuck was a big guy. He was a rough guy. I always believed he had been a Navy SEAL, but he would never admit it. (laughs) But uh, Chuck had high, big boots on and he walked out and he stood over top of it on one foot, kind of like, you know, like, like that with that snake right underneath him. And he stood there for three, four seconds and then stomped it down and crushed its head. Uh, Even a little snake like that, that's a viper. It had fangs and it had poison. And vipers hide, green mambas hide in trees so that people are picking fruit off of a tree. They can't discern because they're, they're like light green and they look just like part of the tree. And so when he calls them vipers, he's saying, he's speaking of something that kind of blends in with the atmosphere, but is deadly. You don't see it coming, but it is deadly. And so he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And he's saying by that, that's your very nature. In another place in John 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you are of or from your father, the devil, and he's a liar and you're liars. And, and so this idea is that they're a brood of vipers, and therefore their nature is that of a viper. And so how can you expect anything good to come out of them? So the, uh, he goes on to say this as, as a conclusion to that statement. He says, for the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. In other words, ducks quack, they don't bark. Dogs bark, cats meow, and uh, birds chirp. Because of the DNA, their core nature, the, the expression of, of sound they make is particular to that type of creature. And here, he's saying, your hearts are like viper hearts. Your hearts, you've, you've inherited your hearts from the enemy, from the devil, Satan. And specifically, we are all born with fallen hearts. We're all born sinners. We're born with sinful hearts. And then when we're old enough to actually make a knowledgeable decision about it, we, we've, we, bear, we bear that true by the fruit of our lives because we all sin. And so not only were they born with faulty, sinful hearts, but they have allowed their depravity, the depravity of their hearts, to just run rampant so, so that you wouldn't, we wouldn't say this, I wouldn't say this to Gandhi even though I don't think he was a Christian, I wouldn't say, well, you're a, you're a part of a brood of vipers. You wouldn't say that. But, but there are people whose depravity, they have, just allow, they have allowed it to run free. And their hearts come to a point that here, as Jesus says, he says, you are vipers. And so 
this whole idea of no one can control the tongue really begins to fit in here. What he's saying when, when James said that, no one can control the tongue, what he's saying is the way God designed us, our tongues are attached to our hearts. The way God designed us, our tongues are directly attached to our hearts. And so if you have a bad heart, it's going to show up. You can't hide what's deep inside of you. If, if, you are, if you've never known Jesus, it's just it's going to show up because you still have a, a fallen heart. If you know Jesus and you have a new heart, you're born again. You have a new heart, but your heart is diseased through bitterness or anger, or deep wounds that have not been healed, or, or other things that can interfere with our, you know, w- with our inner person, then that's going to show up. And, and you're going to know at the least, you know, this person has some issues. It's impossible to hide. In fact, William Barclay said this, He said, the state of our hearts can be seen through the words we speak. There's nothing so revealing as words. So ultimately, that's going to be revealed. So a person might be able to learn the right techniques to say the right things, but there's going to come a moment when what's in the heart is just going to come out and they can't help it. And so verse 35, he goes on, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him or her. And this word stored up, they're, they're doing their best to translate a word that uh, actually means the place that you store your treasure. It refers to like if, if you have a place in your house where you have dug this little hole in the basement and covered it with bricks, and only you know which bricks to pull out to get, and you put your treasure there. It's, the word literally, that's what it means, that little hiding place. And so it's referring to the deepest recesses of the human inner person. And, and so he said, he's, again, he's just reaffirming and, and restating that that you can have a place there that is either unregenerate or you can have a place there that's regenerate, but it's all messed up with, with, uh, with uh, spiritual issues of unforgiveness and things like that. And whatever is stored in there is going to come out. And so that's why Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you have a new nature, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And so this whole concept of being born again fits into this. And when you're born again, you receive DNA from the Father. Your fallen DNA is eradicated. It's gone, died with Jesus on the cross. That's why it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And so that, that inner fallen nature has been changed. And I have a new nature now. I have kind of like, think of it like this. I have like a Jesus heart. You know, he took out that fallen heart and he put his heart in me, a Jesus type heart. And so we begin to walk with that. And, and, and I'm going to tell you how that relates to the tongue here in a few moments. But a fascinating verse to me that relates to this is Philippians 2, 14 and 15. And uh, this verse has fascinated me for years because he says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, grumbling and disputing are things we do with our mouths. 
So he says, no grumbling, no disputing. No, you're not an argumentative type person. You don't always know the better way. You ever known someone that if you say, hey, could you fill my glass of water? And they have three different ways to do it better than the way you asked them to. You, you, don't, you don't always have to know the better way. That was a dumb illustration, but uh, I think you get the point. And he says this, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, what Paul was doing here was tying the way we speak or don't speak into our mission to reveal Jesus to the world to bring the gospel to the world. And if my, vo- if my words reveal my heart, then that impacts the mission that, that I'm on and the, the mission I'm trying to accomplish. And so, but here, all he says here is really interesting is just don't speak. So don't speak. If you ever say it, Proverbs says, even a fool when he remains silent appears to be wise. And so here it's, it's by what you don't do that you have an impact, but it shows also the importance of the use of the mouth and the tongue to the overall mission. So verses 36 and 37, he says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. And so here he's talking about really really ramping it up, and in, in general principle, he's saying, the words you speak, you're going to be held accountable for. And again, this is directly relating to the blasphemy of the Spirit and the Pharisees, but it's a general principle that applies to all speech as well. And so, every empty word. The word empty simply means of no value or effect. It's just simply the word work with an alpha privative which negates it. Doesn't work. Now, you might think, well, wait a second, if it just doesn't work, it's not harmful. Well, it can be harmful. If I ask you, how do I change the oil in my car, and you say, well, the first thing is you take out all the spark plugs. So I spend how many hours taking out all the spark plugs, I still haven't gotten to change. It is harmful. And for the Pharisees, the teaching that they were bringing was not just neutral or off base, it was, it was harmful because it was replacing truth. And so he's, th- those are the things that, that he's talking about here when he says in the day of judgment. It's not like, oh, I snapped at my wife. Well, I shouldn't snap at my wife. And, and I want to repent of that to her and to God both. But I don't think he's talking about that. It's empty words that, that can be uh, very, very destructive. And the word here is this. It means not a, a word like milk or no or yes. It is a word like, hey, you go up to, you know, prophetic friend, give me a word. I'm not expecting them to say uh, jump. Well, maybe that might be the word. But, <laughs> but a word is an expression of thought, here, the, the Greek word for this means something that you've drawn as a conclusion. And so it would be an expression like, 
give me a word. Well, God loves you, and he, he, has a, he, he really has good things for you. That, that would be a word. And so when he talks about it, he's, not, he's saying that it has to do with things that we've come to, to a conclusion about and that are wrong. Those are the empty words. And he says, give an account. We all know what that's like. Your boss says, hey, those reports weren't turned in at the right time. Is there a problem with that? Well, I need to give an account for that. Yeah, my kid had to go to the hospital or whatever it might be. We give an account for these words. And then he says, in the day of judgment, and there, there is going to be a day of judgment. I know we focus so much on mercy and, and grace and kindness and, and God's goodness that we don't talk a lot about that, but there's going to be a day of judgment. And in that day of judgment, the part of the judgment will be based upon the words that were spoken because those words, those words that were spoken reveal what's in the heart. And the words and the actions that were performed reveal what's in the heart. And that will be the basis of this judgment that he's referring to. Now, for believers... There's a judgment in the Bible that's called the great white throne judgment, and that's where unbelievers are brought to be held accountable for the fact that they did not receive Christ or they they rejected the truth. And uh, there's so much to say about that. I'm not going to go further than that. But for believers, we we won't be in that great white throne judgment, but we will have our lives evaluated according to 1 Corinthians and there he says, uh, he talks about the foundation of our lives being Christ. And some people build on that foundation with things that are the equivalent of wood, hay, and you know, just burnable, disposable items that are, are worthless, counterproductive, you know, not, not, not of any value. And then others build on that foundation of Christ with gold and silver and precious stones. And he says, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like my life and the way I've lived it is going to pass through a fire and the good stuff's going to survive, and all the worthless stuff is going to be burned up. And then it says, some people are going to, all their stuff's going to be burned up. They're still going to get into heaven. They're going to be saved, but it's going to be kind of like they were plucked right out of the fire. And so, when, you know, I think about that. I, all I can say is, I'd rather not be the guy that, that has everything burned up. And, and I hope you would say that too. I don't think it should create fear within us, but it should create a serious, sober-hearted spirit towards us hearing from God. What's God calling me to in my life? What, you know, what gifts has he put in me and how am I using them? And how am I arranging my life? What am I doing with the time God's given me and the resources he's given me? Am I just saying, oh, I'm too busy with all these other things to do this one thing that God's called us to do or not? But uh, there's a little challenge in that for us, I think. But back to the whole idea of the tongue. Uh, it would be very easy to go away from this message and think, man, i got to get control of my tongue. I have to learn how to control this tongue. I have to learn how to control the words I'm speaking. And so, you know, I wonder what Reader's Digest article talks about that. Or I'm going to look that up online. Seven keys to controlling your tongue. And they would be things like put a rubber band around your wrist, and every time you say something, you know you shouldn't say snap it real hard. And that pain, you'll get used to, the pain will remind you in the future, don't say that again. Well, I mean, honestly, pain does help us. 
Now, I've experienced pain over things I've said or the way I've said them that has helped to, to rearrange my heart. And, and, and that does. But that's not the way, that's not what you and I should say, well, here's how I'm going to get control of my tongue. Remember, what's the tongue attached to? The heart. And so, for me to improve and grow in the whole area of what's coming out of my mouth, what I need to focus on is my heart. You know, first, obviously, do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Do I, do I, have I believed sincerely that he died on the cross for my sins? That I sinned. When I was old enough to know it, I, I sinned. And, 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 and I deserve, well, I'm in a separated relationship with God because of my sin. But Jesus died on the cross. He took all my sin on himself so that I could be forgiven for that and come into a right relationship with God not be separated from God by my sin any longer because Jesus died for it and paid for it in full. And when I realized that, and I realized he rose from the dead so I, he can give me a new heart. You know, he died and rose from the dead. So when I receive him, my old heart dies. I get a new heart, a new nature, a new identity. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never come to really believe that and to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that and I want to be forgiven and I want to know the Father and I want to live for you. And you can do that right now, just right where you're sitting. You can do that. You can just, you can just open your heart to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I hear this. I understand it. Maybe for the first time, I want it. I want, your, I want forgiveness that you can give me and I want a new heart so I can serve you. And, and so you don't even have to pray. You just tell them that. Not like, not like, you know, fold your hands and get on your knees and pray. You can, but it's just tell them that right now. And, and when you do, your life will change. And you'll become new. And th then you have that new heart, that new nature. And so your tongue then is attached to, to a new heart. And then it's a matter of just growing in health and maturing spiritually so that things that are interfering with the attachment of your tongue to the new heart are cleared up and, and your speech then is, you, you will be, be in a position to grow. But just a couple of things to end with here. Uh, I talked about born again, the new heart, how that's the key. First of all, born again means a new identity, it means a new nature. I've said that over and over again. So, uh, a new nature that gives you ability to see and experience God. That's what Jesus said. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so it gives you a new ability to relate to God, to see God. And, and it gives you new desires to know and live in God's truth. New desires to grow and live in God's truth. Now, born again does not mean that your brain's been fully reprogrammed with truth. You get a new heart, you don't get a new brain. He doesn't wipe your, all your memories out and all the decisions you've made in the past out and all the beliefs that have been wrong. He doesn't wipe those all out and, and give you a new brain. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow with him by saying yes to him. And so th this is where we grow spiritually. 
You still have your old memories, habits, and ways. You still have many of your old beliefs about God and yourself, and that's what gets fixed. Those are the things that interfere with the heart being able to bear the fruit God wants us to bear in our lives. And so the third thing is this. Born again means you've been positioned to thrive in life with Jesus. You've been put into a position to thrive in life with Jesus. And first of all, by renewing your mind through the Holy Spirit. And he uses the word of God to renew our minds. And so I realized I've, I've been really thinking that God was out to get me my whole life. I thought I was snake bit. I thought God was out to get me. And now I read in God's word that he's for me. You know, if God's for me, who could be against me? That says that in the Bible. I realize now God's for me. And what, what, I, wanna, what I need to do then is to take that truth in and allow it to become kind of my spiritual um, uh, muscle memory. You know, like when you drive a car, you don't think right leg, gas feed. No, right leg, brake pedal. You just learn how to do it automatically. It's muscle memory. You have spiritual muscle memory. You want to get to the point where your default thinking is God's for me. And that's how the mind is renewed. So we want that. But if all you focus on is mind renewal, you know what will happen? You'll become kind of like a, a technocratic Christian. You'll have these principles and these things that you're thinking about. You've got to do this and this and this. And what you need is the other side of this, which is growing in intimate experience with God through the Holy Spirit. You've got to have both. If all you have is renewing the mind, the real risk of just becoming kind of like cold and, and, and legalistic. If all you have is the other, growing in experience with God then you, you run the risk of going off track theologically. You start to believe things that aren't necessarily true or, or you think that your experience is more important than what the Bible says. We need both. And the, the Romans 12, to don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need that. The Holy Spirit does that in us. And then the second, uh, this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we all freely beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it's by mind. In fact, here's something. There are only four places in the New Testament where the, this Greek word transformed appears. Two of them have to do with the transformation of Jesus uh, when he was on the mountain with the apostles and, and he was metamorphosized before them. The other two are right here in Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3. It's the only place this word transformed is used. And so you're transformed through the word of God and the Holy Spirit taking that word and making it part of just your, your mental, spiritual muscle memory so that it's just, oh, yeah, I, of course I react by giving thanks to God. I, where it's just part, part of your reaction of life. And then also growing intimate in experience with God. Listen, this is why Micah's class is so important because it teaches us how to walk in intimacy with God. One of Micah's main messages is friendship with God. As a prophet, that's his main calling is to call people into friendship with God. And he shows us ways to actually, you know, how do you see God? How, how do I experience his presence? And it's, buy his book and read it. There are other good books on the same topic, but buy his book and read it.
And so would you stand with me? Because we're, we're going to end in prayer right now. But when, when I begin to realize this, then it's not a matter of, if I, if I said something I shouldn't have said, then there's something here I got to talk about. It's not just greater self-discipline. And here's, here's one final thing. There are moments when you're focused on your heart and being renewed and you're focused on intimacy with Jesus. There are moments where you might think of saying something to someone and you think, oh, I shouldn't say that. And you use self-discipline not to say it. That's a good thing. That'll help you to grow spiritually because you're obeying God for the right reasons. But the main focus isn't on me controlling the external. It is the main focus is on me allowing the Holy Spirit to change the internal. All right, so Father, we thank you for how you've designed us. Amazing. You've designed us in such an amazing way. Thank you, Father. I I pray that for everyone here, you would speak to us. If someone doesn't know you yet, Jesus, then just speak to them right now. Say, hey, now's the time. Open your heart to me right now. And if he's speaking that to you, then do that right now. Just say, yeah, Jesus, I open my heart to you right now. For any, any here that know Jesus and yet you're still saying, man, I got some real problems with my speech, with my words. And I pray, Holy Spirit, reveal, reveal the next step of growth at a heart level. Just reveal the next step of growth at a heart level so that we can walk in liberty and not, not under that tyranny of the tongue, but in liberty of the new creations that you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.